0: Hey, welcome to River Ridge. My name is Matt. Stick to preaching, not stand-up comedy. Hey, um, glad that you guys are here this morning. Um, in the video that you just saw, um, in one part of it, so that was celebrating uh, the 20th anniversary, which was uh, two weeks ago, uh, but you saw people writing on some pieces of granite, some pieces of um, brick. Uh, and if you were not here uh, and you'd like to do that, uh, if you go out to the lobby where the table is, there's a t-shirt place and some Piece of granite, and just write the names of people that you would like to see come to faith in Christ, and then we're making a river out in the planter out front. So that's what that part is about. Uh, But before I jump into the message this morning, I did want to let you know um, we are starting a new uh, life group this week, a new home group this week uh, for 20-something folks. Uh, and so if, if you are in that demographic and you like to connect and study God's Word and be in community with folks uh, in that age range, uh, Dylan Frex and his wife uh, Elizabeth are going to start uh, that group and his uh, email address, thing we've got it up here, it's RiverRidge.org. Uh, so if you would like to be a part of that, uh, it's going to meet on Tuesday nights, just email him, he can give you all the details that you would like uh, regarding that. So this morning we are continuing our sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've titled this Messy Church, Merciful God, uh, because the church in Corinth was filled with a lot of messy people kind of making some poor choices and some division and so forth uh and but yet god in his mercy instructs them on how to move forward and the same is true for us we are a church that is not made up of perfect people Uh, if you came to a church looking for a church for perfect people this is not the place for you we are a group of messy people trying to figure out how we can live in community with one another and live in relationship with god and so the book of first corinthians it's actually a letter that paul wrote to the corinthian church really helps us to do that um I also want to let you know that if you're at a place in your walk with God where you are looking for something to challenge you, to really challenge you at an intellectual level, uh, I'm going to be teaching a class uh, coming up called the- It's Theology and the Theology of Paul. Uh, and so you know, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We're going to focus on loving God with our minds as we look at uh, the theology and life and doctrine of Paul and the letters that he wrote. Uh, so if you're interested in that, that's also going to be on Tuesday nights. You can sign up online uh, at our uh, website, riverridge.church. But I do want to let you know that this class is not for the faint of heart. Uh, it is for people who really want to put in a lot of work. If you do this, there is homework beforehand. There is class discussion. There is homework afterwards. Uh, you're probably going to have to give up watching a little bit of Netflix or a little bit of sports or give up a little bit of sleep uh, because of the, the workload of this class. So I, I want to say it's not for everyone. It's folks who really want to push on and say, hey, I want to take another level uh, with this loving God with my mind. So that's going to start um, in a couple weeks. Details are in your bulletin this morning. So let's uh, pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we uh, get to look into your word uh, and that you are a merciful God, and you want so much for us. You want even more for us than we want and see in ourselves. And so I pray, God, as we look into your word this morning, that you would show us and instruct us on that. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and chapter 4, and we're going to talk about leadership. And Paul, he has a bunch of different things that are kind of subtopics, but the overall thing that he's talking about is leadership. And so we're going to talk about that this morning as we look at these uh, verses in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. Uh, but before we do that, I want to let you know, I started this message with three assumptions, and I want to let you in on what those three assumptions are. Here's the first assumption is not everyone who's listening here in person or watching online, not everyone who's listening is a believer, right? You may be here because a friend invited you to this church, or you're kind of trying to figure out Christianity, and you're trying to get those questions answered, and so you're not a believer. But I do want to say that even if you're not a believer in Christ, this message has great application to you. We're going to talk about what it means to lead in the context of being a follower of Christ, but a lot of these principles Apply not all, but a lot of them apply even if you're not a follower of Christ. Here's the second assumption, that you are a leader. And in one sense, every person here is a leader because you have self-leadership as you lead your own life. Uh, But beyond that, we're gonna talk about leadership and it has a lot of different applications. And and maybe you lead in all these ways or maybe just a couple of these ways. Uh, But one area that many of us lead in is parenting. If you are a parent, you are a leader of your kids. And if you put into practice what we're going to talk about this morning, your kids will not just survive, but they will thrive in life. I really think I could have reworked this message to make it a seven-point parenting message. Uh, But Paul was not writing specifically to parents. He was writing to a church context. But what we're going to talk about very much applies to parenting. You know, another area that some of you lead in is when it comes to business, that you lead a team at work or you own a business or you work in a place where you lead people or whatever that looks like. And we're going to talk about leadership, and it's going to apply to that situation for you as well. Now, again, Paul didn't write this as seven qualities of a business leader, but you're going to find application there. And then the other area, and this is really the context that Paul did write these these verses for, is in terms of ministry. And and my hope and my goal is that as you hear what we talk about and what Paul talks about when it comes to leadership, that this will cause you, for some of you, to step into ministry and leadership Uh, but for others of you that it will cause you to level up in your leadership and to be able to lead even better, whether you lead in the context of leading a small group or you lead a home group or a life group or you lead with Young Life or you lead in some ministry context outside of River Church. What we're going to talk about is hopefully going to challenge you to level up in your leadership. And then here's the third assumption. The third assumption is this, is leadership causes spiritual growth leadership causes spiritual growth you can come to church and you'll grow you can read your bible you can pray you can be in a small group you can volunteer and do things that somebody else has said to do but leadership is something that will grow your faith more than anything else and i know that because i've seen that in my own life but i've also seen it in the lives of so many different people who have been a bit reluctant to lead but have stepped up and said i'll lead And it causes spiritual growth in us because when you lead, you are forced to seek God in the decisions that you make. When you lead, you're forced to confront your own motivations and attitudes and say, why am I really doing this? And that's going to cause you to grow spiritually. When you lead, you have this struggle between affirmation from God and affirmation from people. Am I doing this because people are affirming me or am I doing this because God says, to lead. You know, and the other part of leadership causing growth is it causes us to examine where is my identity? Is my identity in what I do or is my identity in who God says that I am? And all of these things we wrestle with as we lead. So those are the three assumptions that I bring into this as we talk about leveling up in our leadership. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, beginning in about verse 5. Or six if you want to open to that and we're gonna go all the way through the end of chapter four so there's about 40 verses in here we're not going to read every single verse we're going to highlight those that really specifically zero in on leadership um, but I would definitely encourage you to read, uh, to be reading the book of 1 Corinthians on your own. Uh, if, you, if you've been here since the beginning, you probably got a little handout that has how to read 1 Corinthians in 40 days. If you don't have that, uh, grab that at the Welcome Center, because uh, we would love for everybody to read the whole book on their own. But Paul is talking about leadership over these verses because the church in Corinth is in turmoil, that there is a lot of division, there's a lot of struggles that are going on, loyalties are divided, and what Paul is aiming for as he writes this letter is he says, some of you in this church, some who are leading, some who are not yet leading, you need to step up in your leadership if this church is going to go the way that God wants this church to go. And so, throughout this passage, we see a different number of different qualities about leadership. So, here's the first one: is leaders understand their role and God's role? Leaders understand their role and God's role. And again, if you are here on week one or week two of the sermons here, we talked a lot about the divisions within the church in Corinth. And, and part of the division was caused because people didn't understand their roles and people were kind of fighting. But he brings this back up again in verse six and he says this, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So Paul is saying, I started the church and then Apollos came behind me and he watered the church. He said, and part of that, as we look at that, it's understanding that they each had their roles. One was the planning pastor. One was the pastor that helped it to grow after that. But he says, but here's what you need to understand. It is God who gives the growth. And so I put this in terms of understand your role and God's role, that part of this, and it's really a two-part point, is you need to understand what is your role? How has God gifted you, because some of you all are really good at organizing things, and some of you are really good at communicating, and some of you are good with handling the details, and some of you are really good about following through and making sure everything gets done and working super hard. Every one of you has a different gift. Some of you are good at communicating, right? Some of you are good at caring. You have a gift that God has given you that you can use in leading in whatever capacity. And so we need to know the gifts that we have, right, and not kind of play the comparison game of, I wish I was more like that, I wish I was more like that. That's to understand your role and your gifts. But the other is understanding God's role in this. That we can work as hard as we want to do all that God wants us to do, but ultimately it's God who gives the growth and not us. God who gets the credit. Here's the second characteristic of a leader. Leaders have an eternal view. Leaders have an eternal view. Paul is going to use a building theme coming up here in the next couple of verses I'm going to read to you. And he's addressing the leaders of the church. And he's saying the foundation of the church has been laid. The foundation is in Jesus. But what are you going to build on after that? What is that going to look like? Is it going to last? So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. He writes this. It says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, and then beginning of verse 12, which you now have on the screen, it says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has so he's saying that the foundation of the church the foundation of faith is jesus christ now the question is what is going to be built on top of that foundation and so he gives six different essentially building materials he says gold silver precious stone That's one category, and then the other category is wood, hay, and straw. And when you look at that, and he says, and they're going to be tested by fire, and if you put a fire to those six objects, they fall into two different categories, right? Gold, silver, precious stone, those will stand the test of time. But wood, hay, and straw will not. Those will be burned up. And so as we talk about this, this idea of having an eternal view as a leader, we ask the question, am I giving myself to things that matter? Am I giving myself to things of eternity that have a long view, or am I giving myself to things that are like wood, hay, and straw and are just going to burn up, and they don't have significance in the long run? I was doing some reflection on this in my own life, and asking some questions about things that I have done, things that I'm doing, and do they have eternal value? And many of you know that I coached tennis at the University of Charleston uh, for 15, actually 16 years. Uh, I retired at the end of, uh, of last season in the end of May. Uh, but I, I began to reflect on that a little bit this week, saying, is coaching tennis, is that wood, hay, or straw with no real significance, or is that gold, silver, or precious stone and i got to reflect on that a little bit this week and and this was kind of my conclusion you know if you were to ask me matt what was your record in any particular season i honestly couldn't tell you i could not tell you what our record was in any of the 16 seasons that i coached Uh, i could probably with a little bit of thought told you what years we made the ncaa tournaments i could have told you i think with a little thought what year we won uh what years we won the conference title but it, it, for me it wasn't about the wins and the losses for me the coaching was always about the relationships and there was a time early in my coaching career where we're on spring break with a group of kids all living at this house together um, on a spring break trip and a kid comes up to me And he asked me this question he goes what am i and he knew that i was a pastor he knew that i was a coach uh obviously he played on my team he said what am i i'm like what do you mean what am i he goes what religion am i and he wanted to kind of figure out where he stood spiritually and so we had this conversation and i and i walked him through and talked him through a couple of questions to help him to figure out where he was i'm like well do you believe in god he goes yeah okay i said well that either makes you a deist or a polytheist i said do you believe that there's one god or like lots of gods he goes i think just one god i go okay well that makes you a deist and then we we talked through and i can do to ask him these questions to help him to figure out where he was coming from spiritually that is building on an eternal view when i retired at the end of um last year i um I put a Facebook post up, and it had pictures of different teams and some kind of moments that were special to me, and then I wrote some thoughts, just some reflections on it, and I put it on Facebook, and it got a bunch of views and likes and all that, and there was a lot of people that said congratulations and thanks and so forth, uh, but there were also some comments that came up that were super encouraging about the fact that I was doing that to build an eternal, to build eternity on a foundation. There was one guy who said this, and said, thanks for being more than a coach during my time at UC. You helped me overcome difficult situations off the court, gave me new experiences and life lessons, and we shared some amazing memories as a team. That really spoke to me. Uh, Then there's another guy who said this, love you, coach. What an awesome journey. Thank you for taking us in and pointing me toward Jesus throughout all my time and knowing you. You know, those are the things that we can do something, And we can have an eternal purpose in it or we can have an earthly purpose in it. And and a lot of it is about our approach to it. I want to stay on this point for a moment and talk to parents for just a minute because you as a parent, you are a leader of your kids. Now, whether you level up in your leadership or just kind of abdicate is kind of up to you, but you are a leader with your kids. And I would say that this... Point this idea of having an eternal view with your kids as you raise your kids is probably the single most important aspect of the seven characteristics that i'm going to talk about this morning is do you have an eternal view when it comes to raising your kids because there are things that are of eternal value gold silver precious stones and there are things that don't last hay straw wood and I'm going to say something in just a minute, and I'm going to offend probably all of you, okay? And, and just sort of prepare yourself to be offended. Don't walk out, guard the doors, the, the security's on the doors, right? Don't walk out until I finish this. But this is probably going to offend you, and it's going to rattle your chain a little bit, and I'm okay with that. Okay? You ready for this? Youth sports are wood, hay, and straw and so is dance, and so is children's theater, and so are art classes, and so is playing in a musical instrument. That I promise you, I promise you that when you get to heaven, God will not ask you, did your kid play travel ball? Did your kid make the lead of the play? Was your kid first violinist? I promise you that God will not ask you that question. God is gonna ask you questions like, It doesn't really work like this, but God's going to look at that and ask you, right? Does your child love God? Does your child have compassion towards the poor and the disadvantaged? Does your child look towards people other than himself or herself? Does your child have integrity? Does your child have character? Does your child have a heart for God and a heart for people? Those things are gold, silver, and precious stone. Now, hear me clearly before you go tweet this or put it on Facebook. I'm not saying don't put your kids in youth sport or dance or theater. Like three of my four kids have played travel sports in one capacity or another. But what I am saying is this. As you, you as a parent, you better know why you're putting your kid in that activity or your kids in that activity. And what is the purpose of it? I love what Paul says. He says, take care how to build the foundation on Christ. He says, take care. Make careful none of it. Don't just do it. Don't just go about it. Take some thought to do it and how you're going to do it and how you want your kids involved. And what does that do to the rest of the life that you're living as a family and what has to do with eternity? Now, again, I'm not saying don't put your kids in sports and dance and theater and all that kind of stuff. We've done that with our kids But ask yourself, why are you doing that? And are you leveraging those opportunities in order to build a foundation or build on the foundation of Christ of things that matter? And do your kids understand that? All right, if you don't like what I said, send me an email at jteodoro at riverridge.org. I'll be glad to answer all of your angry emails. Here's the next one we're going to go to uh, chapter 4 verse 1 and 2 says this this is how one should regard us as servants of christ and stewards of the mysteries of god moreover it is required of stewards that they be found faithful now in these two verses we're going to actually find three characteristics of a leader and we're going to pick those out and point those out and talk about them but I do want to point out, it's interesting in this passage, particularly here, but really the, the whole thing, you see a little bit of Paul pointing to himself and saying, this is what I have done. And, he, and he's essentially building a platform for his own leadership. And, and he does that for a number of reasons, um, to remind the Corinthians of people. But, but he's doing it here specifically, I think, partly talk about his own leadership, because of what's coming in chapter 5. And we're going to talk about that next week. But he needs the Corinthian church to understand his standing as a leader and these live these things, because chapter 5 is going to get really tough. He's going to be quite confrontational with them. He's going to talk about sexual ethics, and he's going to talk about kicking people out of the church, and he's going to talk about morality. Right? And so we're going to talk about that next week. So you're going to want to be here next week, or maybe you're not going to want to be here next week. You can make that decision. Um, But that's coming up next week. But he's building this foundation, which is why he's talking about himself a little bit. So here's the first one, is that leaders are servants. Leaders are servants. If we're going to lead people well, we need to be able to serve well. we're going to lead well, we need to serve well. And Jesus actually talked about this. He talked about it. He said, whoever wants to be the greatest, whoever wants to be the greatest needs to be the servant of all, needs to be the least of all, needs to be the slave to all. And, And when Jesus said that, he wasn't saying don't pursue greatness, don't pursue leadership, don't pursue influence. He was saying, no, go after leadership, go after influence, go after making an impact on the world. But the way that you're going to do it is through servanthood. Through humility, you're going to do it that way. And so as you lead, lead as a servant. Second point that he comes to in here is that leaders are stewards. Leaders are stewards. I'm going to give you a big word here, a big Greek word. um, And you can jot this down if you want. And the big Greek word is this. It's oikonomos. Okay, Economos. And I want you to understand this word because the more that we understand this word and and the context and the culture, the more that we're going to understand what it means to be a steward. So uh, frequently as you read the Bible, you will come to a phrase that will say, the household of, and then it'll give the name of a person, right? So for us, you know, in in my family, our household is, you know, uh, is my wife, Stacy. My household is my wife, Stacy, my son, Ben. Occasionally, our son, Will, comes home, uh, and we have three foster kids, and we have a dog named Bailey, okay? That is Matt Santon's household, right? Now, in the context of our world, that's kind of a big household, I suppose, uh, especially like when holidays happen and everybody comes home. We had 11 people at our house um, a few weeks ago, but when that happens, like, we're kind of a bigger household. But compared to the culture here, that's a very small household, right? So a household in this time would have been very large. So it was the family, and the families were large. It would have been all the livestock and all the cows and goats and stuff like that. That's part of the household. It would have been all the land. It would also have been all the servants that lived there, and sometimes their families often would live in little houses, and it would be this very large contingent. Kind of think if you've ever, ever watched the TV show Downton Abbey, right? So that would be the household of whatever that dude's name is, right? That's, that's the household of Lord Dudeness, whatever his name is, right? So, but that's, that's a household. Okay, now I say that for this purpose. If the head of the household or the, goes away for a journey— goes away for a couple of days, goes away for a couple of weeks, goes away for a couple of months or even longer, there was an oikonomos, a steward who was in charge of everything. Now that person would always be the the Lord's or the head of the household's um, right-hand man, but the oikonomos would basically be in charge of everything in the household of this person. And so what this is saying to us is that we are stewards. We are autonomous, right? That that is our role to do what God would do if he were here, to do what Jesus would do if he were here. And so in, this, in a household in this, in, this, in this culture, if the person went away, if the head of the household went away, the person staying would do exactly what the person who went away, the head of household, wanted done. I've said, okay, we're growing olive trees this year. When planting season comes around, make sure the olive trees are in good shape. The economists did not have the prerogative to go, you know, I really think I want to grow wheat. Wheat's really a better product. We're going to do wheat this year. No, he doesn't do that. He does what the head of the household wants. And so what that means for us as stewards, as leaders who are stewards, is we steward what God gives to us. If you're leading in whatever capacity, God is your boss. In addition to the boss you actually have, God is your boss. How would he want you to lead a small group of kids? How would he want you to lead middle school students? How would he want you to lead the team that you're leading at your job? How would he want you to lead your family? That's the question. It's not what would I do? What do I think is best is what does God want from me because I am his steward. I am his oikonomos in this leadership situation. And the last thing in these couple verses, verses one and two, is that leaders are faithful. That comes from verse two. Leaders are faithful. Faithfulness is a huge part of being a leader, right? Faithfulness is about showing up. Faithfulness is about committing to doing what you commit to or doing what you commit to do you know at river ridge we rely so much on faithful faithful volunteers and you all are amazing i mean the stories that i hear of sacrifice among you all are truly amazing where people come back early Saturday night, when they could have stayed through Sunday, to volunteer at church. When people get out of bed early and help. When there's a call that says, hey, we need an extra person that you jump in and help. I love the faithfulness of the volunteers at River Ridge Church. When we, uh, every Tuesday morning, our staff has a meeting. And part of the staffing, we evaluate Sundays and what went well and what didn't go well. And then we go around the room and we share wins about what did you see and how did you see the core values of River Ridge lived out this week. And so many times, one or more people on our staff will point to a volunteer and say, this person did this, this person did that. And it's an amazing way to celebrate for us the faithfulness of you all who volunteer. Now, there are times when the staff gets a little bit frustrated, like I had three volunteers, no show on me, and that, that happens from time to time, so if that's you, stop doing that, Right? But leaders are faithful. And when you are faithful to do and follow through on whatever God has called you to do, that is leveling up and that is leading well. Here's the sixth one. It comes from verse six. It says this. It says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brother. So again, he's talking about his own leadership, lifting that up as an example that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. It says that none of you may be puffed up of one against another. So the sixth characteristic of a leader is a leader is humble. A leader is humble. And when we talk about humility, we can talk about two types of humility. We can talk about vertical humility, that we humble ourselves before God. But that's not actually what Paul is talking about. When he talks about being puffed up, he's talking about a horizontal humility. Am I humble before other people, the people that I lead with, the people that are around me? Do I practice humility with them? And ask yourself that question. How's your humility? Do people look at you as a leader and say, yeah, he's humble? Or are you always trying to grab the credit? Because I tell you, in in whatever capacity that you lead, you're leading because you want God to accomplish more in it, right? And God accomplishes a lot more in things when we don't care who gets the credit. Here's the seventh quality of a leader, is leaders respond with grace. Leaders respond with grace. Do you remember back at the beginning, one of my assumptions was um, that leadership helps you grow, And the fact is, is if you are a leader, you will be criticized, either to your face or behind your back, either one. But if you lead, you will be criticized. It's just a part of leadership. But Paul speaks to that and says this, because when we have criticism, when we do lead, it leads to this growth if we respond with grace. So verse uh, 12 says this. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. And entreat basically means to answer kindly. When we are approached in these ways, slandered, gossiped about, criticized, persecuted, we respond with grace. When we respond with grace, that means probably two things. One is it takes us back to number six of having humility and saying, is that true of me and when we're criticized when we're slandered we need to ask that question like is there some truth behind it you know and i know for me like taking truth from somebody that i don't respect is really hard right like i don't really respect you but that doesn't mean that what somebody speaks isn't truth that's part of leadership and and do we have the ability to do that and then when we are criticized or slandered or whatever it is can we make the adjustments and say okay i'm going to respond and make this change and i'm going to respond with grace to the person that said this you know and the other part is sometimes when we respond we go you know what the the criticisms the issues they're not accurate and we're going to keep going as we had planned and we have to kind of respond with grace even though we're not going to change based on what people have said about our leadership Level up and lead well. I want to leave you with two uh, questions, maybe two and a half questions. Uh, the first is this. Is what is God calling you to change about your leadership? How is God calling you to level up? As we walk through these six characteristics, which one for you is the one that drives home and say, I need to make some adjustments here, right? And then the kind of the second half of that is this is is there something that god is calling you to level up and to lead in where he's been tapping on your shoulder saying i want you to take this leadership responsibility i want you to step up and do this and are there some things that he wants you to step into that you maybe been a little bit reluctant to do and then here's the other question is what keeps you from leading What keeps you from leading and leveling up and leading well? Is it it fear of failure? Or maybe you don't feel gifted to lead. Or maybe what's keeping you from leading is you're giving yourself too much to wood and hay and straw and things that don't matter instead of gold and silver and precious stones and things that matter that do last. Or maybe... You don't lead because you've never been asked or you've never raised your hand and said, here I am, I'll lead. And maybe that's the response for you this morning. But I just want to give you a few moments to encourage you just to close your eyes and just allow the Lord to speak and to hear from him about leadership and your role and his role and what he might want you to do. Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you that you have called us all to lead in different ways. And I pray that we would honor you in how we do that, as we level up, as we seek to lead well, Lord. But God, we know that as we lead, it's you ultimately who gives the growth. And we just want to be faithful stewards of doing what you ask us to do. Would you help us to go out of the doors this morning and to do that in whatever area of life that you're pressing on us this morning? I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.